Good day, everyone. Uh, Lou Weiss from uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. Again, you all know me. Uh, we have today uh, Nancy the Master uh, from the ISM, uh, who's going to give us a report on the hospital ISM report on business. Normally, I'm not the one who does, does this, but uh, Tim Grady does. Uh, but how he's off doing his uh, uh, jury duty responsibility. So here I am filling in. Nancy, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, and I like your, uh, the blue, uh, blue and white background that you have. Um, uh, Tim, uh, Tim Fiore has, I think, uh, uh, white on blue, and, and uh, Tony Nieves has blue on white, so I'm not sure who's winning at this game. Variety. So, we like variety. So, uh, folks, today we're going to talk about uh, the ISM report in regards to the uh, hospital uh, medical uh, industry, uh, which is a fairly new report that ISM is doing. Uh, Nancy, how long are they doing this now? Three, maybe four months? Yeah, we, um, we reported um, our first report in July of 2020. 2020. So, um, so yeah, it, it's still very, very new. We're just getting the word out. Um, we actually started collecting data for the report in order to validate the surveys back yeah. in April of 2018. Well, your timing couldn't have been better in view of the uh, COVID virus uh, and all the issues that uh, uh, not only we, the public, but also the uh, hospital uh, industry has gone through over this last uh, uh, almost year and a half. So, uh, folks, I just want to bring you up to date with uh, some things regarding the ISM report itself and what it's all about. So I'm just going to throw out some things that I know about it, and I'm going to let Nancy tell you a little bit more about the hospital report because it's really, really important because it does represent, correct me if I'm wrong, Nancy, 17% of the GDP of this country? 17.7. Ah, thank you for correcting me. And then, of course, there's the Seven. I was going to round it to eight million, but you were going to correct me. <laughs> Seven point eight million uh, people who are employed in that industry. So uh, you want to give uh, our audience a little bit more background. I, I don't know to what degree uh, Tim Grady has gone into this with you, but so let's spend a few minutes because we always have new people, new new listeners. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and the hospital report. Sure, glad to. So um, as you're aware, ISM has been doing the manufacturing report since the 1930s, what we now call the service report since about the 1995. Um, and they began to look for an industry that uh, they thought was important to do a drill down or what you call vertical. And so they began discussions several years ago um, with an organization called the Association of Healthcare Resource Materials Managers, a big mouthful, we call it ARM. It's the professional organization for healthcare supply chain people. And they worked with the ISM professionals to take kind of the best metrics and consistent metrics with 
services and manufacturing. And then we added a few hospital specific indexes to really allow us to study what was going on in that supply chain and that industry, because it has such a dramatic effect on both our economy and so many people within our country. And as you mentioned, little did we know when they started this process back in 2018, that we were gonna have a worldwide pandemic. But the report really did show the value that it can bring in being this um, you know, leading indicator. Just like manufacturers and services, we're managing change month over month and trying to see where do we have growth? Where do we have bottlenecks? What's going on? with the industry and specifically within the supply chain. And I, I think that this is uh, an important uh, interview uh, in regards to the fact that a good part of the public, our audience plus, don't really know a whole lot about the medical industry other than their doctor, their specialist, their whatever. I think that it's important that they know the basis of the industry itself as to how, uh, how it's working, how it's going forward, how it may or may not affect the individual. So uh, I, I'm glad that I'm sitting in on this because uh, I find it really quite, uh, quite interesting in terms of what's happening in our healthcare system. You're referring to that in terms of the supply chain. So why don't we talk about that? Let's talk about some of your numbers with regards to supply chain as it, re as it uh, uh, re refers to um, hospital industry, medical okay. industry. So sure. you've got the floor. Okay. Well, first, I'm going to start a little bit with volume, because obviously you've got to know what's going on with your volume to know how to how to sync your supply chain and your demand with that. Right. And uh, we measure just like we do in the other indexes, the PMI, the Purchasing Manager Index. And for May, that was 61.6 um, compared to 61.9 the prior year, or prior month, excuse me, April. So that is showing it, it's very strong, it's growing. It's been growing actually for the last 12 months. Now, what um, when you look inside that metric, you wanna look at your business activity, 66.5 compared to 67 the prior month, so very strong, and new orders. So, you know, you've got how busy am I this month, but What's coming up? How many orders, how many appointments in our world would I have at 67.5, so up one and a half percent. So there's a lot of demand right now. Now, the thing that's very different in healthcare from say manufacturing or other services is in those industries, volume equates to profitability. When they sell something or make something, it's, it's profitable for them. In healthcare, it's not quite that simple. We have to not only know, are we busy? We need to know what kind of business and how are those patients insured? Because that's where the revenue comes from. And what's happened the last couple of months, obviously hospitals have been incredibly busy, as you mentioned, for 18 months with all of the COVID patients. Um, however, what we've now seen is that we're getting through the worst of that pandemic um, and we're seeing that volume be replaced 
by what in hospital jargon we call elective procedures. You and I might not think those are so elective, like having your knee replaced when you're in pain, but that's what we call them. Um, and so we're seeing more surgical cases, radiology volume, treatments like that, which tend to be more profitable than your medical COVID type cases. So that bears well for the industry. So we kind of start with that, that basic to then look at some of the supply chain numbers, if that makes sense. Sure. So as most of your listeners are aware, the hospital industry has been on the nightly news for a long time. And there's been a lot of discussion over what was referred to as PPE, personal protective equipment. And going into a global pandemic, I think uncovered the challenges in the hospital and healthcare supply chain and how dependent we are on other countries. Most all of our PPE is manufactured overseas. Um, and we went through a period of, of really challenging shortages. And we were forced to buy products wherever we could find them. In some cases, that's called the gray market. We're buying them not necessarily knowing if they meet all the quality standards that a brand name product would. Right. But hospitals did whatever they could to achieve that. Sure, sure. And so as part of that, they built a lot of inventory, Lou. They were really trying to protect the, themselves and the caregivers. So what we see in May is that for the past four months, unlike you know in the manufacturing or the service industry, we've actually seen inventories contracting. That the sentiment is at 61.5 that they're too high. So for four months, our, our inventory level is at 45.5 at this point. They're actually trying to you know, uh, burn off that extra inventory they built during the pandemic, which um, is giving them a little bit of relief because like you saw in the manufacturing report, prices are just going up, up, up. So we're getting a little relief on the supply chain side right now as we're building down some of those inventories and that, that showed up in our import number. Imports went into contracting mode, 47.5 this month. So we're starting to see a little bit of um, level setting and an attempt to kind of get back to where we were before a lot of the panic buying kicked in to help get us through the worst of the pandemic. So uh, as of uh, recently, just within the last few days, um, regarding us supplying other nations with vaccinations into the millions of vaccinations, um, how, how are people in this country reacting to that? Because I haven't really heard a lot about that, about the fact that we're uh, donating, giving, selling, however it's working out to countries like India and uh, Africa and South America and so on. How are Americans taking to that? You know, we've, you know, we've lost 600,000 people uh, this past year and six, seven months. And now we're giving away the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, ser the serums and vaccinations to other countries. Uh, one, is it being appreciated? And two, do the American public understand that this is a good thing for us to do 
to win back some of our unpopularity as a relate as a as a result of, uh, and I'm not going to get into politics, but as a result of the last four years. Right. So I, I agree with you. I think it's very um, new. Um, and so I would offer my thoughts. I don't think there's any data behind it yet, but um, you know, I, I do think that we are educating people. Sorry, that's my home phone. Let me get that turned off. Um, we're educating people that it is a global economy and it's a global, we can't go back to being an isolationist. It just doesn't work. And I think with the, the Delta variant and the reality that, um, you know, so let's say that India is being hit really hard by this pandemic. Well, a lot of our pharmaceuticals and drugs and raw ingredients come from India. If, if people can't work there, if they have to shut down factories, much like happened in China at the beginning, that's going to hurt the U.S. There are raw materials that are critical for our manufacturing and our service industry that come from Africa. And so... Um, yes, it's important to be a good global citizen, and I think the United States wants to be that, but from a selfish perspective, it's in our own best interest for these countries to be able to operate and to be healthy so our people can travel without getting sick, but also so we can get the raw materials and goods that our, our consumers, our American counterparts are used to having and want to have. So why is it that um, we're why is it that we're not giving? I mean, we have three manufacturers here in the United States, effective I think as of this week. We had two, Moderna and uh, Pfizer. Thank you. And then we have the J and J. And we have the J and J. Uh, why why is it that uh, people may be resenting a bit that we are donating? Or why haven't we given licensing to foreign entities to produce uh, these vaccines so they could be on the road to being cured and we could be on the road of not being reinfected by uh, global traveling and so on and so forth. So I, I think that might be above my pay grade um, as to why, why we're choosing what policy. I, the only thing I would say is that um, these are very complex vaccines. And so not every country can just jump in and start manufacturing them at any old plant. There's a, a lot that goes into it. And like anything else, you have to make sure that the manufacturing practices are in place and the checks and balances so that you get a quality outcome. You certainly wouldn't want to see a vaccine created somewhere that ended up harming people. Okay, so why don't you give me some uh, insight into the respondents who've made comments to you in your report as to their perception as to how things are going. Sure. So I think that um, we touched on it when we talked a little bit about the volume, that they're seeing the volume be more in this category of surgical, um, elective, radiology, cardiology. That's all very good. The, the real um, concern and pain point uh, that came out this month is the employment number. So the employment number actually contracted and went down to 495 
And it's been bouncing around since December. We saw a deep decline in December. And if you remember, there was a lot of talk, and, and still is, about the trauma that these frontline healthcare workers have gone through in treating the pandemic. Nurses, not just nurses and physicians, but you think about the housekeepers, the supply chain techs, the food service workers. So the comments really echoed that we're seeing um, challenges, just like any other industry with recruiting people that frequently, you know, require some very specific skills and concern about that retention, mental health issues. So, you know, we're seeing hospitals respond to, to both how do they how do they become more proactive in training and recruiting people, but also what kind of services do they need to provide to be able to retain those people. So that was a big part of the comments. You made um, a, a comment just a moment ago about mental health. And I, I just read a study this uh, past week about uh, in, uh, the depression that one out of three Americans are suffering from some form of depression as a result of uh, COVID, not working, uh, going, not being able to go into the office, and you know all the new things that we're doing as the new normal. Uh, this has become a tremendous mental health issue, and this month is Mental Health Month. So it's very timely uh, that I think that we need to talk about that and be very cognizant of uh, the problems that. Um, not only the population, the populace, uh, patients, but also the, the uh, healthcare providers, they have to be really suffering going through all the things that they've gone through and things that they've seen in hospitals. Yeah, they do, they do. Um, and I think that um, the, the good news out of that, the silver lining, it's been the fact that on, on all levels, people are now talking about it, coming up with new methods to, for treatment. I mean, one of the things that came out of the pandemic has been telehealth and the utilization of Zoom-like uh, methods to be able to reach people in hard to reach areas where we don't have very many mental health uh, practitioners. Right. So, right. you know, I think that that, um, you know, it is a good thing, but it's, it's um, something we've got to take seriously and really address head on? Well, I think the telehealth uh, uh, methodology has really done a lot. And, uh, and it's only at the very beginning of it. Right. They've only been doing that now for several months. I think going forward, it's going to be, um, instead of you having the doctor come to your house, which probably hasn't happened in about 40 years, right. um, this is now telehealth which is sort of equivalent. Uh, I, I have a telehealth physician uh, and uh, he, I make that phone call and he's right there. It's terrific. Yeah. Yep. I, you know, again, as we, as we kind of unpack the lessons learned from the pandemic, yes. um, I, we're going to have to uh, really pay attention to what were the positives that came out of it. Um, you know, I think that the other thing, as we said, we're going to have to be very honest with ourselves about the issue of this global supply chain and offshoring. Mm -hmm. And are there things that 
Um, in fact, there was already an article in the New York Times talking about the fact that several domestic producers of masks are, are stopping because of the flood of cheap masks from China. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be, I think, a long-term conversation of how do we balance the cost with the risk and, and make sure we're properly prepared. You know, what's interesting about China, and again, I don't want to get into a political conversation, but, you know, China has been supplying us also with lots of uh, medications and health uh, uh, equipment and supplies and so on and so forth. But yet that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that we're, we have all these issues that we're going back and forth with China on a political nature, on a um, uh, the, the basis of, you know, we're not real happy with them, they're not real happy with us, but yet we need them. Right. And how is that going to work for the long term? Yeah, I, I think those are, you know, I, I was reading that um, they signed an executive order to really do a deep dive on the supply chain. Um, on the 8th came out some different action items really charging a group to look at, you know, raw ingredients through production. How do we um, better protect ourselves as a country, knowing we can't move into that isolationist mode because um, we need these other countries. But how could we maybe be more resilient? How could we, again, um, do more forward thinking and planning? So, and, and they say it's, it, it's when, it's not if we experience another pandemic, we can do a better job of, of ramping up to deal with it. I think part of the problem is that we're so politically oriented and or geopolitically oriented that those who are in power are, in my opinion, and again, I'm not talking politics, that they are not looking at the globe as the one community. Right. And that we really need to be able to take care of one, one another because otherwise it's gonna be all over at some point. Very challenging, it really is. That's, that is for sure. So what do you, what do you see as the, um, um, perhaps a headwinds going forward. I mean, your report comes out every month. Yes. Um, and uh, your numbers are very strong. Um, where, where do you see it going? So I think the, the points that we're going to want to be watchful of, um, you know, following up on one of the panelists' conversations is uh, talking about cutting back on discretionary spending as the hospitals are kind of making this, this shift um, from COVID back to a more kind of quote, normal patient population, um, they're gonna be cautious in their spending. Um, pharmaceutical and supply costs are up again this month. Um, pharmaceutical prices have increased month over month since April, 2018. They've, we've never had one month of contraction. So um, there's a lot of focus on costs there and that employment number, you know, so to the extent that we may see increased wages or pressure on labor costs, increased pressure on supply costs, what we often call technology spend or capital equipment spend, I think we're going to see hospitals hold back. And in fact, that metric for this month went into contracting at 49.5. So when you think of hospitals buying big pieces of equipment, expanding capacity, 
maybe starting a new program that's involved some expensive uh, devices, et cetera. I think they're going to be very cautious about that for, for the next few months as things kind of play out and we see where they settle. Um, and to the extent we get to that point where um, inventories have been burned out and we've got to start building them back up, you know, we've got to have some, some room for those expenditures. So I think hospitals will be very cautious in their spending for the next few months. Where, where is the employment issue with regards to uh, the hospital and uh, medical uh, industries? Is that coming back? Uh, I know that the uh, first responders and people in the hospital, they really stuck to their guns and they helped this country tremendously. Some got sick, some died. Um, if we wind up having a, another resurgence of the pandemic come fall or winter, do we have enough people to handle this? I think there's huge concern around that. And, and, and it didn't just start. There's been a lot of concern for a number of years about the aging of the workforce and right. the average age of, of nurses increasing. And do we have enough in the pipeline? So I think you're going to see renewed uh, focus on you know, encouraging people to come in to the industry, you know, whether it's, it's you know, nurses or physicians, or it's many of the technical fields we need in radiology, physical therapy, pharmacy. Pharmacy is a huge one. You know, it takes six years to train a pharmacist. So uh, we've really got to be looking at, at that. And how do we make this industry uh, attractive to those young people? You know, the young people, you know, we, we have a problem in the manufacturing sector. We don't have enough people. We're short I believe the numbers were short 3 million uh, workers to be in the workforce in manufacturing. Uh, this past week, they came out with the employment numbers for manufacturing, and we had a big 23,000 uh, increase in new workers. 23,000 is a long way from 3 million. Right. And uh, the, the birth rate in this country is slowing. Um, the death rate is increasing. Where are we getting all these people from to be able to fill these functions? Right. Well, you know, I think that that would be why trying to stay away from your political edge, but why some people advocate for legal immigration. Immigrants have always been there to help us out. Um, but I think the other thing is the focus on early childhood education and helping students succeed with the idea of, of a career path and putting more focus on the trades and things that we got away from a little bit when we put so much focus on a four-year bachelor's degree. We, we need to even that out. But I think, you know, we've got to make every child successful so they can be productive workers because these jobs don't just need warm bodies. They need thinking. Awesome. They need trained people. It may not be a four-year bachelor's degree, but it's more than high school. Um, so I think that that's, from my perspective, where we've got to focus. Tim Grady, my co-host, who you've uh, met and have had uh, interviews with, um, one of the things that um, I, I feel is, a, is really a major problem is that um, we don't have, we don't, one, we don't have enough people, number one. Number two, 
uh, you know, the big, the big problem in this country is an immigration problem. And uh, frankly, our recent administrations, whether it's the left or the right or the middle, uh, we need to be bringing people in to speak the language, learn the skills. They can make good money and we don't have to be in the position that we're in with a shortage of people. And it's, it's very unfortunate that one side or the other side sees this as a political issue and not a heroic, humane issue that this country needs to deal with. That being said, <laughs> I, I really appreciate your joining us today. And uh, just as a, a wrap up, um, do you have some final thoughts you'd like to convey to us and our audience? I'd love to hear. Sure. I think that, um, you know, what we're going to be watching carefully as we go forward, as I said, is kind of what happens to the demand and how does that kind of stabilize? What can we do to make sure we've got employees to take care of that? And sure. then, you know, we're still seeing the disruptions of court backups and transportation. And so although the PPE crisis is settling, you know, we, we're still very much seeing shortages and backwaters. So there's a lot that we're going to be looking to the healthcare supply chain being uh, informed by many of the things that have come out of the manufacturing uh, report on business, where we look at some of the commodities and potential prices and shortages to inform us so that we can do an effective job of managing our supply inventory. Nancy LeMaster, thank you very much for joining us from the ISM, the hospital report that comes out every month. And I recommend uh, those of you who are regulars or irregular of, of our show to tune in to our ISM show regarding manufacturing every month. And the ISM services, which used to be non-manufacturing, they chose to change the name to services. And that's a great show with... Uh, uh, Anthony Nieves, and the first one is uh, Tim uh, Fiore, and now we're doing the hospital report with uh, uh, Nancy Lamaster, and I really enjoy having you on. Uh, if there's anything that we can further help you with to get help get your message out, we'd be really happy to. So again, thank you, and we'll be seeing you next month, and I would like just to say to our audience that if you would like to listen to our other shows on jacketmediaco.com, uh, we've got uh, four shows that are totaling, uh, that are mostly about manufacturing. Um, and it's uh, very interesting stuff that not many people know about, number one. And number two, prior to um, two, three years ago, the mainstream uh, news media rarely, if ever, talked about manufacturing, particularly. Um, but I think that because of all the issues that we've all been living through, suffering through, and so on, we realize manufacturing is important, services are important. And by the way, hospital healthcare is important. It's 17% of the GDP of this country and 7.8 million people are in that industry. Did I get that right, Nancy? Close, you got it. Close? 
17.7. Okay, great. I'm, I'm only a little off. I, I got uh, I got to write that one now. <laughs> All right. Nancy, thank you very much. And thank you, uh, our audience and our listeners. Please tune in with us next time for more news from jacketmediaco.com. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.